0: Hello and welcome to Ball in the Real World. My name is Olga Nulich, I am your host. What is a special Boomers edition? The Olympic squad for the Australian Boomers was released today. There are some surprises, there are some names that it's nice to see on the squad. And I figured the best person to talk to about this was Andrew Gaze, a five time Olympian, one of the best scorers in Olympic history. Drewy,
1: how are we going? Yeah, going really well. It's a exciting time. It was. It's um. It's it's all upon us now. and we see the squad announced and we see the pools being somewhat allocated. I mean, there's still a few uh, vacancies that that uh, we need to find out. But it becomes a, a reality and it's an exciting time when you look at our team and the squad we're able to put together
0: and and what we're potentially capable of in Tokyo. So looking looking forward to it. Is all this stuff as exciting for you as it is for me? You know, the last night, the draw, watching that come out, seeing the potential matchups. You know, thinking, is Serbia going to get through? Are we going to see, you know, Baines and, and Landale and those guys trying to lock up Nikola Jokic? And, <laughs> and then today, is, does this still get your your blood kind of going too? Yeah, well, it makes me nervous
1: because um, yeah, I look at it, and ever since I was a kid, have always aspired to to see Australia. Uh, firstly, competing at the Olympic Games and then secondly, winning medals. And unfortunately, we've been, never been able to do that. Um, I was a part of it for a long period of time. So you have that uh, sense of pride and that, that sense of uh, belonging to the program because, you you know, not just me, but a group that we came through were there for, for many years. And, and as such, you go from being participants to, to fans and, and really wanting – uh, the, the boomers to do well. And we've been so close over the last couple of Olympic games. And and now when you look at the squad that we've got, we've got uh, a, a really good opportunity. One thing that's a little bit different that I'm, I'm not yet convinced about is the the system that they've got in place. The, the three pools of four. And of course you've got to finish in the top two to guarantee your way through. And then in fact, I'm not even sure how they then determine who the next best two are. Uh, that I'm, there'd be some, formula for that but uh, when you've got teams competing in different pools how you come up with the next two is a little controversial or can be controversial Um, and then it just uh, but for us uh, with the Australian team it's all about just eliminating any of that other stuff just make sure you finish hopefully first in your pool if not second and and then you move on Um, uh, and the challenge that we face right now is we we don't actually know who it's going to be, who we're going to be playing on, because we got two of the qualifying teams are going to jump into our pool, so that makes it even uh, a little bit more nerve wracking
0: about what may lie ahead. So when you talk about let, let's talk a bit about the the new system that they've got, because so what's it's gone from what eight or nine games to five or six games, something like That's that. That's right. So they've cut it down a little bit, but yeah. when I look at the World Cup and the way Australia did there, I, I see patty mills and Daly sort of getting a bit gassed toward the end of that tournament right and, and you know the depth wasn't as good as what this squad might indicate because you know if, if everyone plays then the, the, the depth is totally fine but yes. do you think there's a chance that that a shorter tournament and less games could potentially work in the advantage of the boomers because patty mills is 32 aaron baines is 34 and you've got an older core you could have worked in the boomers favor well, we'd like to think so.
1: I think that, um, that in the past we've, we've shown how close we've come and you could look at some of those past experience and you, you could mount an argument to say that, well, if it had been a little shorter, maybe we were a little fresher, we might have got there. But that is when you've got two pulls of six and you've got to finish in the top four. There's a little bit more margin for error. You, you, you're able to play through and you have a little hiccup in a game here or there, you still got some margin for error. Uh, when you're in a pool of four and you've got to finish in the top two to guarantee your way through there, it takes away that little bit of a buffer zone that you can have for, for an off night. And, and, and we do know that, I think it's Nigeria that's in our pool as well.
0: Nigeria and, is in there. And then the, the two qualifying teams that will be correct. decided end of June, I think.
1: Correct. And and when you look at those pools that they've got, everyone assumes that it's probably Serbia and Croatia, given where they're being played. Um, but, you know, you've still got very strong teams in those pools. I think Russia's another strong team in there. Certainly Germany, yep. with if they've got their talent. Italy, a perennial um, uh, good team. So so there's a lot of other teams that could come in. New Zealand, you never know. You, know, you just never know. Yep. It's unlikely, but you never know. Um, so it's, you, you can't even overlook a team like Nigeria. And when you've got those pools of four, accidents can happen. So we've got great depth. And if, if I had a personal choice, I would probably prefer the other system, albeit that you're going to play more games than this one where, you know, limited preparation time, other variables come into play, accidents can happen.
0: And look, when, when it comes to the, the system, I think one thing to note is that if it's going to not affect the team, it might be Australia, just considering the talent that Australia has, right? And, and so let's talk about this squad, right? It dropped this morning. We're yep. chatting on Wednesday. Um, and it, it looks like you've got that top tier of NBA guys. You, you have the boomers core. We've got the addition of Matisse Theibel on the squad, yes. which I think is something that the Boomers have sort of been lacking, that, that skill set. Um, and then Gorge went for what looks like a bit, and you got the obvious NBL guys and then some young guys too. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the, the makeup of the team? Because previously, I think Lamanis usually would have gone with the core guys and then, you know, NBL vets. Um, that's what we saw in the, the last Olympic team. Gorge has sort of gone a different tack. Do you, do you agree with the direction that he's decided to go?
1: Yeah, well, I look at this team, and there's no one in there that you that I would feel that has been left out. That's a legitimate chance to to make the team. Jonah Bolden is the sort of the mystery guy that we haven't seen a lot of in recent times. That that was a part of the World Cup team pulled out, and whether that's had an impact on his selection here or not, but the bottom line is he hasn't played a lot, and we haven't seen him a lot over the last 12 months, but he's probably the only one off the top of my head when I went through it that thought, oh, I wonder what the the, the scenario is with him. But everyone else, I think, is uh, legitimate, and really, they all, could. you could mount an argument for each and every one of them. Even someone like Josh Giddy, who's only 18 years of age, you see what he's doing, and Yes, the Olympic Games is about putting the team together that absolutely gives you the best chance to, to to win a medal. No question about that. But even at the Olympics, there is still an element about building for the future, providing players with opportunities that are going to uh, give you this longevity in being able to compete for medals. Um, so I, I think for, for, for someone like him in particular, that um, a good argument could be mounted. You go back to... Uh, a couple of Olympics ago when Ricky Rubio was there at a 17 year old, similar yeah. arguments could have been made against uh, with, for other players going ahead of him, but it proved to be a, a very important selection as far as his own personal career, but also for the, for, for the prospects of Spain. So um, there's no one on that list that I think, Oh gee, my eyebrows were raised and, and go, well, I'm not sure about that. Um, they're all such as the depth of, of talent that we do have that um, they're all worthy of having a good look at. And given also the uncertainty with the NBA, if you, if if you see um, if Philadelphia yeah. go all the way through to a, the championship series in the NBA, the, avail- the, the, the availability of someone like Ben Simmons and Matisse, Thibel, well, then you get, well, I don't know. So I can understand why that um, you'd have uh, such a deep roster or a squad of 24 because there's still a number of variables that we aren't aware of.
0: And so you you touched on a lot of guys I don't want to to talk more deeply with you about. Um, You talk about the Sixers, obviously. If they make the finals, then... The, the, it comes up really close to the start of the Olympics. And I'm looking at Joe Ingalls with the Jazz. The Jazz yeah. are rolling right now. He's yeah. going to be in a similar boat. And Joe Ingalls, I feel like, is maybe a different story. We we have a, a more clear idea of where his priorities lie at this point in, in his career, yep. right? And, and as much as I don't think he would leave a potential NBA title team in, the, in a finals to join the Boomers, I mean, anything could happen and it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. Um, but you, you touch on Josh Giddy He's a person who... You've kind of been around for a while, you, you know, with his dad and all that, too. He's in this squad. A lot of people may have said, Should a Nathan Sobey make this sort of squad, right? And so you're picking the youth and incorporating a guy into the program over a, an, an NBL guy who's probably a star in the NBL currently. Do you think, when you look at Josh Gideon, the way he's played with the 36ers so far, do you think he could legitimately make an impact and, and produce for this Burmese team? Oh, absolutely.
1: I think that he's, you got to understand and it's easier for me because I've known him a long time and coached him throughout the juniors yeah. and know the personality as well as the skill and know that he's not going to shy away from the a big moment. He's not going to get overawed by the occasion. Um, I would have great confidence in him stepping in the games and, um, and carrying a load. Is he ready to, to, to be the main man and play 35 minutes a game? Probably not but that doesn't mean that you um, can't play a role. And, and at the Olympic games, you've got 12 guys that are all legitimate stars and trying to find that balance of people being able to accept a lesser role. I think clearly Jonah Bolton was an example of, of someone that wasn't prepared to accept a lesser role. So he makes his, his own decisions and, f- and fair enough. Um, but trying to find that chemistry and that mix in order that you have that, as well as tremendous skill, the great harmony and camaraderie and all those things that go along with it uh, can present a challenge when you've got players that, that are all got great expectations of what, how they're going to contribute. Now, fortunately, when you pull on a green and gold jersey – uh, history will show there's been very few examples of, of people uh, creating havoc and, and not buying into whoever the, whatever the coach's philosophy is or their role. But um, as time evolves and, you know, the Olympic games uh, uh, and, and the meaning for players for the Olympic games varies, not necessarily any lesser, but it certainly varies with other priorities and, and, and what they're trying to do individually. Those things you do have to be cognizant of. And and, and certainly someone like uh, Josh, I, because I I know his personality, I know that that wouldn't, wouldn't not be
0: a problem. You know, when we talk about the, the culture of this team as well and, you know, being willing to go in and accept the role, I think a lot of that does come down to just how much you revere the program. And I think it's one of the more impressive things that Australia has where Paddy Mills and Joe Ingalls and Aaron Baines and that big, that, that core that the Boomers have, is so bought into to the program and that process um, from you as a, you know, long time boomer and someone who's kind of been overseeing, you know, you're watching the program for, for so long. And it's been a big part of your life. How, how proud does it make you? How impressive is it to see those dudes and the way that, and how much they care about the boomers? Yeah, it's fantastic.
1: And um, uh, you look at those guys that you mentioned in particular, that have been around a long time now, you know, Joe, Patty, Aaron Baines, uh, you, you would have thrown Andrew Bogan into that pro, into that Definitely. era as, as well, who unfortunately uh, for us, he's decided to retire, which is fair enough. I, certainly nothing against that. But but um, a lot of those guys prepared to make sacrifices in order to be a part of the program. And um, I, I think that, that that's been something that's been there over history and it's a cultural thing. Once you... Uh, a part of the program. And, and that's why it's great to get these young kids involved because it's an education. Yeah, it's, it's an understanding of, um, of the expectations of what it means, it's the pride. It's, uh, it's about not just representing yourself, but, but a nation and, and it's also um, giving back to a nation and a sport that has provided so much for the individual. And 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 when you look at the, the guys we've we've had, you know, Maddie Delavado and Paddy Mills and 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 that all those guys and Joe and 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 the list goes on. All of them have been not only exceptional players but unbelievable ambassadors, one for the program, and two for the nation in the way in which they've carried themselves and represented us. So, uh, could not be more proud. Not just of. Their obligation and commitment to the boomers but the way in which they've represented australia and australian basketball with their club programs either in europe or in the united states in the nba has been nothing short of
0: exceptional you talk about you know how much how well these guys act as ambassadors for the program i was speaking with um, matthew Ponya last night he does some great work making content for the boomers and he's a former player himself and pointed out to me something interesting which i hadn't noticed off off of my first look at the team so that there are 10 people of color on this team which is a new look for the boomers it's it's a sign of the cultural progression of australia um and obviously just the program in itself to have you know 10 people of color to have that representation you know what does what does that mean do you think for the growth of the program in itself and I guess, for the inclusion of everybody in this country and how important their representation is?
1: Well, I think it's representative of a lot of what what you see in the community. We, we are renowned for being an embracing nation that accepts all and provides uh, opportunities for all. And I think that when you look at the, in particular, the, the uh, African contribution and, and their passion and love of the sport Absolutely. and the way in which that they have been able to um, adapt to, and because some of them come here under horrific circumstances. And I think that it's fantastic that, um, that most people like me without you, even if you hadn't have told me that I would never have known it because I just see these players and I was I in see, the same boat and, and, and it's, it's only through, Uh, You identifying that, that I'm aware of it, but it's something that I think that um, probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I know myself that I was very open and and shared my views that this is the future because you see the way a lot of these players are falling in love with the game, the commitment that they have. For a lot of them, it's a way out of some very very tough set of circumstances. So they have different levels of motivation than uh, perhaps some others, and uh, and I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. We embrace it, and um, not just that. We uh, also I think you look at it and they can provide examples for um, for yeah. the African American, the the um, the African, the uh, indigenous, uh, the Asian, all the different uh, cultures that come to this nation and make Australia their country. I think it's fantastic that it demonstrates that they're welcome. And if you're good enough, it's got nothing to do with the colour of your skin or the culture that you've come from. It's got to do with your ability and the way in which you, um, uh, way in which you embrace the the uh, the ethos of Australian basketball is a reason why they get these opportunities.
0: And it was something I spoke with Paddy Mills about recently where he didn't understand the impact that his presence had on indigenous Australian communities around the country, right, he is, you know, probably the highest profile indigenous Australian athlete. So for, for him to have a presence there and you can see William McDowell White, He's yeah. coming through as well. The, the presence of someone like Thonmaker Maker and even a duop wreath for the the African Australian community, yeah. which is you know Dang so so talented. If you've been yeah. out, hundred percent. If you go out to the the west of Sydney and you know there's a huge community in Melbourne too, you know they're super talented. And so I, so I guess to see the representation is super important. Um, and one thing as well I'll mention is I had a player tell me recently that it was important for them to have someone who looks like them on the coaching staff um and so that's why the inclusion of someone like david patrick was so important mm. um you know it's important to have representation when it comes to a community and seeing the boomers but it's also important for these boomers guys to see you know another black australian on mm. the coaching staff um it, it just helps all around Do you what do you think this means for the future of the boomers? Cause I look at this team, you know, Ben Simmons is 24. Fibel is 23. Giddy's 18. you got Isaac Humphries, who's 23. Yeah. It's a really young, you've got the older dudes, but it's a young squad. The, the future of this program is maybe as bright as ever, right? Oh, it is. And, and I think the fortunate
1: thing is that um, we've had a, this has been sustained for a number of generations, uh, if you go back to even before my time, when they were knocking on the door, that era that came through—Larry Sandstock, Ray Warner, Wayne Carroll, Ian Davies, Phil Smythe—they um, got us knocking on the door. You know, finished fifth in the World Championships in '82. Um, had had uh, in the Moscow Olympics. Not for a quirky set of statistical anomalies. They'd be would have been playing off and uh, competing for a medal. So so they got us to a certain point and then there's been generations come through that have been able to um, replicate that and take it even further. And when you look at the um, the, the, the talent that we have uh, in comparison to when this was all starting back then to what it is now, the glaring difference is one opportunity because we've got these guys playing at the highest level of competitions throughout the world and two – athleticism. Uh, back in we were the undersized overachievers, this n- team that no one wanted to play against, scrappy you know Larry Senstock at 66 six is our starting center and you know we, we, we're having to compensate for some of the, uh, the athletic deficiencies that we have compared to our opponents. We can step on any floor now with the athleticism that we have and say that we can compete with a- any team in the world. And and yeah, you're right. You look you you are looking uh, for the to the future as well as um, the now, but the now is very strong, and the now is important to, to um, Paddy Mills, Matty Delavadova, and Joe Ingalls, because the reality of it is, these suckers only come around once every four years, or if you look at what's happened recently, once every five years, uh, and and you know realistically you know, the prospects of them achieving that goal of winning a medal uh, becomes a lot tougher after the, these games. So, the now for them is really, really important, but the future with the players that you mentioned and Jock Landale, I'd, I'd throw into there, still a, a, a very young man, Nick Absolutely. Kay, you know, we because we, out of sight, out of mind, we probably don't uh, think too much of him, but uh, in regards to being a part of that future, but Very talented um, and, and got a, I think a a potentially a long career with the, with the boomers as well. It is tough with a lot of those guys because they have to make some difficult decisions when you're involved in the NBA and understandably their, um, their commitment to the boomers uh, has to be proportionate to the circumstances that that they're in. Um, So when you see the depth of talent that gives me great hope because it's only going to become increasingly harder to qualify for to for these suckers uh, you know that's that's going to only get tougher and tougher as time goes by and for these guys that maybe aren't there because they're involved in the nba or um that that aren't there for that qualification period uh, the depth of talent is um is just as important and I feel really good when you look at NBL these days and the, the, the level of talent that we have in the NBL, feel really good and encouraged about um, what the future may hold.
0: I mean, absolutely. And I think of the young guy I didn't mention was Josh Green. He's 20. He's from Sydney. He's just going to yeah. come into that squad and potentially that team and bring a, the type of player that they haven't had in a, in a long while. Um, well, you know, you know what? The thing, look,
1: the thing is... And, and and not not to say this would be yeah. Josh. He's got just as good a chance of, of making the team as any. But I guess as a, as an example, uh, we will have guys that are either in the NBA or on the cusp of the NBA that won't make this team because you 100%. know
0: twenty
1: four doesn't go into twelve. You got to you got to make some tough decisions <laughs> along the way, and. Uh, how good is it and how far we've come that we've got players that can play in the NBA or, or even some of the leagues in Europe that may not get an opportunity to, um, to, to
0: be a part of this team? I mean, that is the luxury that Australia has now. You can have a Josh Green who started who started games for the Mavericks this season, who, is, who, who may struggle to get on a Boomer's team. You know, personally, I think, I think he'll make it because I, I think he fits a skill set that I think Gorge will like. But the fact that it's even a question that this guy who has started for an NBA team, a probable playoff team, might not make a Boomer squad just talks to you know the growth of this program. I want to quickly touch on you know someone like Josh Green and a Matisse Thibault and a Ben Simmons, these long athletic guys, going into a Brian Gorgian team and the defense that he sort of inspires. I look at Justin Simon and you know how mm. much uh, Gorge is empowering him with the Hawks currently. That they're, they're flying. They're four and zero. You know, how excited are you to see this current boomers iteration that could have a Thiebaul and a Simmons and obviously Baines manning the paint, yeah. you know, in that gorge system and, and under the sort of values that, that he puts forward?
1: Well, and you're 100% correct. I think it's mouthwatering when you see what that level of athleticism with the guidance and the system that, that, that Brian will put in place, um, uh, what, what the potential that could be. But for me, who got to play, I, when I first started playing basketball, I played alongside Brian. Uh, he was my teammate. And then got to play against Brian Gorge and teams for 20 years. So, uh, and his calling card during that time was defense. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he was a, a, a guy that, that had really sound structures offensively. But the calling card and the trademark was defense. What encourages me, and, and, and so I, to a certain extent, take for granted that, that because Brian Gorge is there, they're going to be great. It's going to be a great defensive team because I've seen it and, and played against it and now observe it. But what encourages me more is uh, with Brian Gorgon coming back and seeing bits and pieces of the stuff that he did over the journey in China, and seeing what he's doing offensively now, and and the yeah. way in which he can play the up tempo, I'm more excited and thrilled about what can happen offensively, uh, on the basis that I have no fear, no problems, no worries about the defensive end because there's over thirty years of history to say, well, that's tick that box, no problem, uh, but the offensive stuff and the schemes that he's putting in place now to exploit the talent that he's got there at the Hawks. And like I said, the little bits and pieces that I saw of him in China, uh, I think that that's more exciting to me than what is, than, than the stuff that we're going to see on the defensive end with this level of talent that you're talking about and level of athleticism.
0: Now I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for your, your starting five or kind of your ideal starting five, assuming everyone plays. But before I get there, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you about Isaac Humphries, who is a guy who you coached as a rookie in the NBL. Um, and he had his ups and downs as a rookie. And it, it didn't seem as though you were able to get the most out of him, right? Um, he goes, he went and, and played in the G League and did his thing there. And he's come back and he's playing like an MVP in the NBL. And, and he's earned a spot on this roster. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you see as... Isaac Humphreys' growth from a rookie to, hmm. I guess, what you're seeing now on the broadcast for these NBL games. Yeah. And, and a boomer squad member.
1: Yeah. Uh, I absolutely enjoyed my time with Isaac. I, I'm not sure that he would have enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it, but I absolutely loved coaching him. Uh, he's a different personality, and I learned a lot from that experience. The thing about Isaac when I had him was almost three years ago now, uh, two and a half seasons ago. Uh, was that he'd come out of a situation where he'd been in Kentucky, and with the greatest respect, he didn't play. He didn't get to play for two years uh, at Kentucky. Very now he got great education, good system, but he wasn't um, uh, having a role that he was uh, that that I think if he had been in a different school, he would have had. Um, and as such, yeah. I, I think that for him. Um, my assessment of it was that, you know, he was maybe lost a little confidence um, because, it, because it wasn't coming as easy as it had throughout most of his junior career. And when he came and, and we got him in Sydney, there was another uh, level of education that he had to go through, another uh, learning a system. And my personal opinion is that I thought that we, well, in my view, <laughs> our coaching staff and myself provided some good guidance for him. Uh, You know, and the thing that sticks out the most after not seeing him other than on YouTube and bits and pieces uh, from his time that he went away, as you know, i as a good friend of Isaac and and, and I'm sure you'd know more than I would. It was not easy for him when he went to Europe. It was not easy. And, you know, maybe that wasn't for him and things didn't work out for him in Europe. And he went back to the States as I see it. And, um, even it was not easy, but he stuck at it. He stuck at it and showed a level of commitment and determination. And I think that he learned a lot from that period. Now in my head, I liked I hope that one point in time, now, maybe he, he, he would, he never does this, but, in hindsight, when he looks back at his time with the Sydney Kings, albeit very brief, um, that, that it played a role. You know, he was Rookie of the Year. We introduced him into the, the um, men's basketball, uh, professional basketball. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. But the thing that sticks out to me the most, and it's with the rhetoric, it's with the body language, forget about the skill because the skill is was has always been there the, the the noticeable difference is the personality the passion the 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 love for the game um, that might have been there in the past but i think that there was a a maturing as a 20 year old still trying to figure out figure it out you know um, yeah he wasn't one that, that, that he wasn't one that that uh, necessarily uh, was a fan of the game in that he watched a lot of basketball. Uh, you know, I mean, I would talk to him about certain players to role model, And I'm talking about Hall of Fame players. And this is not an insult to Isaac by any stretch. It's just, a, just to give you an understanding of the person. A lot of guys
0: are like this. A lot of guys aren't NBA heads, right? That's he did just, not have a clue. Who he is. was like, I don't
1: know who that is. And, and yeah. you know, you got to, <laughs> You, you, you sort of get knocked on your heels a little bit and say, what? And that's what I'm saying. It was a process of, of, of understanding. I think that he is fulfilling his p- potential. He's reaching his potential, but most important, you know, the most important thing when I watch him play right now yeah. is that he looks happy. He looks happy. happy. He looks like he's loving what he, he he's doing. And um, he looks like he's having fun. And that's the most important thing about the whole of why you're doing it. So uh, I'll, I love the brother like uh, he would never realize. And like I said, I can appreciate the challenges that we presented to him, that you would know better than I do, and I don't know if it's a leading question. You know, perhaps <laughs> he, may, he may not think uh, or think of me in the same way I think of him um, but that's okay because we're all different and I'm just
0: so happy for him that he's doing great. I, I bring it up just because I, I think it's interesting that he can have this sort of rise and, and he, he can come to the NBL and no one really thought he'd be an MVP sort of caliber guy, right? And I think that's, that's a reason why the 36 weren't uh, I don't agree highly with highly by, by a lot of people going into the season. You know, I, uh, so. I, don't, I don't agree with you. I think a lot of people thought he could, he's going to
1: do really well. I thought he was going to do well. You, Melbourne United yes, well. thought they were going to do really well when they tried to sign him. Uh, there, 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 there are other, there are many other clubs who would have loved to have had him and they all thought they were going to do it. So I, I, don't, I don't agree with you to say that oh, a lot of people think he wasn't going to do really well. No, Most people that I know of that are in the game all knew Isaac was going to do really well. Absolutely. Whether it, I'm not so sure if he's exceeding that right now, but I think we all knew that he was going to do well because he's he's a he's a, a really really gifted t- talent.
0: Yeah, and so and I don't want to dwell on Isaac because it's a great Boomers chat. Um, but you know, Jeff Van Groningen signed him to the sort of money where it's you're gonna you have to be an MVP. He's he signed he signed to be an MVP level player. I just don't think that the broader public would have guessed that Isaac Humphries would have played his two seasons in the G League and had his stints in the NBA. Um, I, I honestly think p- most people just sort of batted an eye at, at those sorts of stints, and they didn't think no. that he would be at this level. His potential was always up there, right? Yeah. But it's, it's, I, I think he's surprising a lot of people because th- there's a reason why the 36ers weren't no, no, supposed no. I to think, pay, I think, be 4-2 well, and two right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. And he's a big part of that. He's been fantastic. And right now, after six games, you you are spot on. That is an MVP candidate with the performances he's doing. I don't think that anyone questioned his talent. I think a lot of people had some questions about whether Daniel Johnson and Isaac Humphreys could coexist and whether or not sure, they would be that. able to play on the defensive end like they are. And, you know, and, and, and so I think that, you're right. I think there was some question marks about that, but I don't. I I I might be naive here, but but certainly people like no no one that I spoke to, um, and as you know, I'm really really close to Jeff, and we we discussed the prospect of, and, you know, I I certainly wasn't one that was not you know I was encouraging and you know he was driving it absolutely and. But whenever he asked me about it, mate, I thought it was going to be a sensation. But others, I don't think, question Isaac's skill or ability to, to contribute. Maybe, like I said, maybe not. No one knows you're going to have an MVP. But everyone, right, I think, everyone right. assumed that he, Isaac Humphries, was going to be a very impactful player in the NBL. But there was an uncertainty about the combinations, not so much the
0: individuals. I can agree with you there. Yeah. Um, look, let's let's kind of turn it back to the boomers. I hope that I hope that chat's given you time to think of what you think, at least as far as on paper and as far as a fit goes. What what a good boomers starting five would look like if we've got the squad in front of us. Um, yeah, I wish the, you had given, the, what, you should, maybe you should have given me the
1: head jump <laughs> here because I'm, I'm going to be going off the top of my head and at 50, almost 56 this year, the top of the head doesn't always work like it used to. But um, <laughs> I think there are some no-brainers in there. Um, uh, I think that you, you, you're always going to have Patty Mills is always going to be starting. Uh, Patty's um, a no-brainer. I think Joe Ingles is a no-brainer. I think Ben Simmons... Is a no brainer. Um, uh, Depending on, well, okay, who's your fight? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Who's your fight? I I would assume that you go with Aaron Baines, but I I, I also respect what, um, uh, you know, Andre was doing in the past and and how sometimes it would be variations between Baines, um, Bogart. Landell. Now he pretty much set, settled on Baines as you started, but but there has been variations over the, the last five years. Uh, naturally, so. But I think right now that you'd be um, going with Baines, um, and then you know you've got that swing guy that you you you, you, you who you're going to run with.
0: Um, That's the big unknown for a lot of people, I think, because I think. Uh, uh, Constant across a lot of people starting fives is Mills, Ingles, Simmons, and then Baines as a guy who can play alongside Simmons because Baines can stretch yep. the floor a bit, and he's that really impactful defender inside, right? And so it's just that, like you said, that swing guy, that the the, the perimeter yeah. guy next to patty and Joe. And yeah. Do you, what's do you go with the Matisse Dyble? Do you go well, that, young, that even bit- younger with a Josh Green Brockoff maybe?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that you, um, you know, with Ben in there, the more you can space the floor, the better off you're going to be. But Bainesy's knocking down those three. Well, he did last season. Bainesy was knocking down those three balls as well. So they've got to respect him at the very least. And when you got Ben coming off those screens or Paddy coming off those screens, you know, they've got to be conscious. You've, got, you've certainly got to respect Bainesy as, as well. But I think with uh, Matisse, from what I've seen and what his reputation is, and understanding that Brian Gorgian's coaching the team uh, what he can bring with the versatility and the athleticism on the defensive end and when you think of the players that he's go to he has to go up against and some of the matchups then then that can help you know Paddy Mills and, and and Joe Ingles are really good defenders because there's a lot of basketball IQ um, but, but, sure. but 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 you still need, on the defensive end, sometimes basketball IQ is really important and can get you to a certain level. But with some matchups, you just need great athleticism and you just need that physical yeah. presence. And, um, and it's never these days, whether it's at the Olympics or the NBL, or the NBA, what you do on the defensive end starts with of course your individual matchup but it's more to do with your team concepts anyway but you you, you still you know that's where a, a, a Matisse would come into my thinking is what someone that you go well well he would tick a lot of boxes on the defensive end
0: yeah and I look I was in China for the World Cup and you look at some of the matchups that they struggled with um you know it's, it's nice to have someone to throw on Evan Fournier, for example. Yeah, When absolutely. you go up against France or against Hernando Nando DiColo, who yep. is just such a, an amazing scorer at that level, right? When you're going up against an American team, for you, sure. know, you have wings from one to four, yeah. right? It's nice to have that guy. Um, and so I, I agree with that. I agree with the Theibel pick. Theibel, or if, if you want a, one of those sort of firepower sharpshooting teams, if if Brockhoff is shooting the ball as well we know as, as well as we know he can yeah then him on that squad too and and honestly I, I, I like the idea of some small ball with Ben at the five he's six foot ten and he he can he can play at the five so having True. him in there throwing in throwing in Brockoff and a Thiebel this team can can do a lot of different things can't it
1: well you you can make arguments for a whole bunch of players but the one that I'd need to see more of but. On the basis of what I saw last season in the NBL, and when you think of international basketball and some of the players that you've got to play against and how in which you want to run your defense, Will Magne, believe it or not, in my, I'm yeah. not even sure he's going to make it, but, but I can see that I'd want to look at what Will, because his skill sets, I think, uh, could be really valuable. And if I was Brian Gorgian, I'm having a really good hard look at it because of what he can do on the defensive end. And you've got enough firepower down the other end with all those guys and the various rotations that you're going to come in, you're going to have enough offense in, in, um, that you can deal with and the rim protection, guarding some of those uh, bigger guys, even sometimes when you've got a switch and his ability to move laterally, uh, to protect the rim, uh, all those things. I really like the progress Will Magno was made, and I'm interested to see. I know I saw recently he he got he's going back to the G League, which is great because he's going to get to play a little bit. We'll but, get to see him. Um, yeah, uh, but but he's one that that I would think uh, you know when you're making comparisons to some of the other players, his skill sets on those specific roles with some of those matchups that, we, that you that we were all referring to, I think could be
0: important. I think it's similar to what Aaron Baines was to, I think it was an Olympic team ages ago where Aaron mm. Baines was, came off the bench and he was an energy big, right? He, he went rim to rim, he blocked shots, he threw down dunks. Mm. I, I don't think Australia has had that in the past few campaigns. You know, a, a guy who can rise up and, and throw down alley-oops outside of Andrew Bogut. Yeah. Right? Um, and just, just to have that youth in, in the front court too. I feel like that could be important.
1: Yeah, absolutely, for sure, and um, and uh, I think a lot depends on on who you're playing against and the various matchups, and you and yeah. you've got to pick a team that's really versatile that you've got all those things covered. And then no doubt, like we were talking about earlier, Brian Gorgian, with his his calling card being defense, that's going to be a, a big priority as far
0: as the, the the selection and how in which he's going to play. I agree. Well, look, Drewy. I've kept you long enough. Uh, I feel like no, we can mate. talk boomers all day. I'd like to get you back on at some point to talk NBL as well. I appreciate you, you taking the time. I, I love talking hoops. Love talking basketball. Whatever it may be. Not everyone always agrees, but that's
1: the beauty of the game and, and why it's so special. When there's quite often no right or wrong, and it's uh, and it's each to their own. But uh, I love talking it. So happy to happy to
0: chat whenever you like. Andrew Gaze, appreciate you taking the time. If you like what you heard, you guys, head on to your favorite podcast app, rate, review, subscribe, you know the deal. Next week, we'll probably get back to some NBL stuff, catch up on some of the Australians performing in the NBA, so so keep an eye out every Wednesday for a new episode of Ball in the Real World. Until then, see ya.